Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, hindsight is 2020? It's kind of an ironic phrase this year, is it not? Um, when we say hindsight is 2020, we're talking about 2020 vision, right? To be able to see clearly. But if there was ever a year where we needed some hindsight, it's 2020. Because it seems like every day we're going, what's going to happen next? Like, like we have no idea. And I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that this year is not going to make sense until it's over. And we have a chance to look back. So this phrase is kind of ironic when we think of it that way, that hindsight is 2020. And I think sometimes when we look at life, we're looking at it um, backwards and things make sense. And especially when we read stories in the Bible and we forget that for the people who were living the stories in the Bible, they didn't have 2020. They didn't have hindsight. They didn't know how this story was going to end. And that really struck me when I read the, the story of Daniel. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We've been a series of messages that we've called Summer Sunday School. We've been looking at some of the classic stories in the Old Testament. And we've been using some of this, this technology that we uh, call a flannel graph board. When I was a kid in, in Sunday school, we did not have video screens and we did not have um, projectors, we had flannel graph. And today, we're going to look, we're going to let the Bible story come alive a little bit, and we're going to look at the story of a man whose name was Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel tells us all kinds of things about Daniel. We'll review a few of those stories here in just a little while. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. By the time we get to this point in his life, Daniel is actually an old man. In fact, many theologians believe that by this point, he's probably about 80 years old. And when we get to Daniel chapter 6, there has been a change from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom, and there's a new ruler sitting on the throne, and his name is King Darius. And Darius sets up this new administrative governmental structure where he has these 120 rulers called satraps that, that go out and they're, they're ruling, and there's three administrators over them, kind of three key leaders, one of which was Daniel. And the king, King Darius, was thinking about the fact that he might make Daniel number one. Basically, he would be the king, but Daniel would be the prime minister. And some of the other leaders, they didn't like that. In fact, the, the very clear point is that they were very jealous of Daniel. So if you know the story, they devise this plan where they want to get Daniel out of the picture. And so they go to the king and they convince the king to make a law, to, to pass this law, so that no one is allowed to pray to anyone but the king. And this is the rule. And it was interesting because they really play to his ego. Let me give you just a word of advice. If someone's playing to your ego, you're probably being played. And that's exactly what happens to the king here. He's told all these things, and it's all an elaborate trick to get Daniel out of the way. And if you know the story and if you know how it plays out, you know they devise this scheme where they say if anyone prays to anyone other than the king, they must be thrown in what's called the lion's den. Now, this was not like a trip to the zoo. The lion's den was a, was a pit. We, we call it a den, but the word there actually was, was for a pit. And this pit was where these lions were kept um, during that season of time, the sport of kings was to hunt lions. And if you had a lion den, it was an easy way to get rid of troublemakers. And so they had this lion's den 
was probably a pit. There was a stone over top of it, and Daniel was to be pushed inside with the lions because as you if you know the story you know that even though the decree was that daniel was not to pray to anyone but to the king daniel chose to pray to his god these guys trap him in the middle of it and eventually daniel is thrown into the den into the pit with the lions now i hope i'm not spoiling the story for you if you know it uh, i'm not and if you don't you can read it in daniel chapter 6 but God saves Daniel from the lion's den. He keeps him from the mouths of the lions because scripture says that God sends his angel and that the angel literally shuts the lion's mouths so that for a whole night, the whole night that Daniel is in the lion's den, he is not eaten by these lions, but God keeps him safe. And that's what's at the heart of this story. And we know this story. So when we hear the story of Daniel in the lion's den, we read it as if we're watching a football game or we're watching a basketball game. You remember sports. As if we're watching some kind of an event that we already know the end. Like we're not worried about who wins because every time we read this story, we know that Daniel's going to be okay. Here's the trick to it. Daniel did not know that, did he? Like when he was living it out, he didn't know how this thing was going to go. In fact, years before, when his three friends were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, one of the things that they say in the book of Daniel is they say, we believe our God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will trust him. Like Daniel doesn't know what's going to happen as he's being pushed into this pit. Hindsight is 2020, but in 2020, we have no real hindsight yet, so we have to say, what do we do in the midst of of uncertainty see Daniel doesn't know that he's about to see a miracle story all he knows is he doesn't know what's coming next here's something that I learned as I was really digging into the book of Daniel I've always just kind of looked at it if you're familiar with the story half the book is a bunch of stories half the book is a bunch of prophecy I've always just thought it's another Old Testament book but if you really think about it it's Daniel's memoirs like he's writing about his life and the whole reason he's writing about his life is so that future generations will learn from his example. He wants us to learn. And whether it's the stories in the front part of the book or the prophecies in the back part of the book, there's a really clear message that God wants us to get from the book of Daniel. It's this, in spite of circumstances, God is in control. No matter what the circumstances are, God is in control. This is the very story of Daniel's life from the very beginning. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. From the very beginning of his life, he's known in spite of circumstances, God is in control. Now, we live in uncertain times, don't we? I mean, even just this week, the news seems to change and shift in so many ways. And that's not just the headlines. The reality is, even in your own life, we live in these very uncertain times. Here's, here's my concern. This is the concern for my life. This would be my concern for your life. And I'm sure it's something that Daniel had to keep in mind. And we'll, we'll look at this here in just a moment. Be careful that what is uncertain does not keep you from what is certain. I would challenge you that you be careful that what is uncertain does not keep you from what is certain. I have a tendency that when I have a sense of uncertainty, I focus on that uncertainty instead of focusing on the certainty. And what Daniel did was in the midst of uncertainty, 
focus on what he knew. This whole story takes about 28 verses to tell in Daniel chapter uh, 6. But there was one that the more I studied it, there was one verse that I just kept kind of honing in on. It's Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And here's, here's what it says. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, that means when he finds out that there's this trap where that they're going to try to trick him into praying so that they can throw him into that lion's den, it says when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Remember, he's, he's not in Jerusalem. He's not even in Israel. He's in exile in Babylon, which is now Persia. And as he's in this foreign place, hundreds of miles away, he turns his attention back to the place that is the symbol of his God. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That first line, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, is filled with uncertainty. Because he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He don't know what, what's going to come. He knows one moment he's supposed to be the prime minister. Next moment, he's prime rib, right? That's what's about to happen in his life. And he's trying to figure out, how is this going to play out? But in the midst of that uncertainty, we can really learn some things from what Daniel does here. If you look at this story, Daniel is being put on trial. And can I challenge you that maybe you and I are too. Like in the midst of this season of time, maybe, maybe it's somehow related to the news, or maybe for you it's somehow related to just what's going on in your personal life. If you're facing some kind of uncertainty, it's a trial that you're going through. How are you going to handle that uncertainty? I want to give you some things tonight. I want to look first at two realities that I found in this story, and then I want to show you two certainties that you can hang on to in times of uncertainty. First, let's look at two realities of uncertain times. I want to look at two realities of uncertain times. Here's the first reality that really, I think, comes to light in this story. Number one, how you live before the trial prepares you for how you will live during the trial. Think about this for a moment. How you live before the trial will prepare you for how you live during the trial. And you have to keep that in mind. Because what you're doing today, and we saw this in the life of David, and we've seen this in the lives of several of these Old Testament characters we've looked at, how you're living today is God working in your life to prepare you for what's coming in the future. Like a lot of people during this whole kind of quarantine, coronavirus, unusual season, um, our family pulled our bicycles down off the hooks where they've been hanging in the garage really for years. I haven't ridden my bike in a long time. And I've just been enjoying just getting out and riding my bike. And I'm not ready for the Tour de France, but I'm, uh, I'm having a good time just kind of out and getting a little exercise. And it's a great diversion. And I'm not riding for miles and miles, but, but it's fun to do. And one of the things that's kind of nice about living in northwest Ohio is there's not a whole lot of hills, are there? <laughs> Praise God. Until you encounter one. And I was out of town recently, and I just for kicks, I took my bike with me, and uh, I was riding in a place, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, there's hills here. <laughs> and I got I to I gotta ride on these hills, and it feels a little bit different, and it's a lot more work. And I realized that I had not been preparing for that part of the trial. Like, the ease of what I was doing was not preparing. And then I started to realize something. I started to realize that if I saw a hill up ahead 
there was a good chance that I was going to go down one before I had to go up one. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, do you know what's wise to do? You pick up some speed on the way down because it's going to help you on the way up. Does that make sense? And so I realized that, Chad, you don't have to work so hard at the bottom of the hill if at the top of the other hill you were already keeping in mind what was coming ahead. How you prepare for the trial, how you live before the trial ever even comes is gonna prepare you for what's coming. Watch this, there's, there's a line in, in verse 10 of Daniel chapter six that it's so easy for us to skip over, but let's look at that again. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room. He, he, didn't, he didn't run around, he didn't jump on social media, he didn't fret, he went to the place where he had certainty. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, and I love this, just as he had done before. Was praying new to Daniel? No, this whole practice was a part of who he was. So when the time of uncertainty came, he was ready before the trial to be able to have a response to the trial. So, so what does that look like for you? What are you doing in this season? And even if you feel like you're in a trial right now, it's not too late to get your heart ready. What does it mean for you to be preparing for the things that life may bring your way? Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says, I'm going to live today because I know the way that I live today is how God is preparing me, how he's helping me for the challenges and the trials that I may have before. Give some thought to how you're living. Are you developing practices today that prepare you for tomorrow? Are you, are you doing your best to pick up some speed at this point of the hill so you'll be ready for the next point of the hill? Here's the first reality. How you live before the trial prepares you for how you will live during the trial. Here's the second one to keep in mind. What you do in the midst of the trial determines your testimony beyond the trial. What you do in the midst of it is going to determine your testimony beyond it. Maybe the best illustration of this that I've heard recently, I, I, I heard a story of a guy who was driving in his car and his young son was in the back seat, two, three years old, something like that. And he'd spent a lot of bit, bit of time in that car seat. That little guy had been back there before and he'd been in the car with his dad driving before. So dad's driving. His dad's driving down the street. All of a sudden, out of the back seat, Little guy goes, hey, dad. He's like, yeah, buddy. He goes, hey, dad, are there any idiots out here today? Where do you think he'd learn that? <laughs> See, he had picked that up from his dad and knew that oftentimes when his dad was driving, he identified certain people in a certain way. Here's the reality. What you say and do during the trial is going to be your testimony beyond the trial. That's what people are going to remember. That's how they're going to respond. Watch this in the life of Daniel. And I think this is really important. Daniel chapter 6, verse 26. 
This is at the end of the story. This is after Daniel has been rescued from the lions. This is King Darius as he's looking at the whole picture. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Isn't this fascinating? For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And then Darius goes on to say, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He says all these things about a God that is not Darius's God. He's saying, look, everybody, you should pay attention to Daniel's God. Why? Because Daniel's God is so great, because Daniel's God is so powerful. Darius, how do you know? Because he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Here's what he's saying. Darius says, you know how I know all this is true? Because he did it for my friend. And what I saw him do in the life of my friend, I'm going to believe that he can do for me. And there's a powerful truth that's there because whether you realize it or not, people are watching how you go through the seasons of your life, good and bad. People are watching you during your trials, whether it's your little guy in the back seat or whether it's the person across the street. This is interesting because in this whole story, Daniel's testimony now goes around the world because of this book, but it affects his enemies, it affects his boss, it affects his family, it affects everybody. And this is really significant, especially in this season. Because what I've heard a lot of people say in this season is, you know, I'm gonna do what I want because I don't care what others think about me. And here's the reality, that's just not biblical. I mean, we've been created to bring glory to God, to lift up Jesus, and to point others to him. So when we live our lives in a way where we go, I just don't care what anybody thinks about me, that actually flies in the face of who scripture says we are supposed to be. Like, let's make it real practical. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you're not miserable, so that people aren't miserable around you? No, here's the whole reason. The reason we try not to grumble and argue is so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them, among the generation that you're a part of, like stars in the sky. The whole reason I'm supposed to live my life with a sense, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, of gratitude and grace without grumbling and arguing is so that I can be a light of Jesus to others. Because the reality is, how you live before the trial prepares you for the trial, and what you do in the midst of the trial is what determines your testimony far beyond the trial. Those are two realities we see in Daniel's life. Now let me shift gears for a minute and not just talk about two realities, but let me show you two certainties for uncertain times. Because in the midst of all of this, it's easy for me to talk about how you're supposed to respond in and, and during a trial, but the reality is if you find yourself in one, whether it's a headline-induced trial, whether it's a virus-induced trial, whether it's a trial that's been induced by somebody else, or whether you feel like the enemy's out to get you, or whether it's just an uncertain time of your own making. How are you gonna move through that with certainty in uncertain times? Well, we see two things in Daniel's response. See, Daniel knew this. Certainty number one, God is good. Certainty number one, God is good. If you don't know the story of Daniel, he, when he was a young man, he was basically kidnapped and dragged away from his life in Israel 
with a group of the sharpest of Hebrew young men and taken in captivity to Babylon. He was groomed to be a leader and to be someone who would serve in that kingdom. He lived a tough life. And yet Daniel saw over and over again that when there was a time in Daniel chapter one when he was asked to eat in a way that defied what God wanted him to do, when Daniel did what God wanted him to do, he saw God come through for him. When his friends, and if you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the three guys that end up in the fiery furnace, those were his friends. When they were invited to that barbecue, what they saw was that God was good and God protected them. Over and over again, when you read this book of Daniel, you see that God never failed him, which is why, and watch this, because Daniel knows that God is good. So watch his response. Go back to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It's interesting what he says here, because it says that when Daniel had all this uncertainty, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. What did he pray? He was giving thanks to his God. That, to be honest, seems counterintuitive to me. <laughs> If you know that you are just about to be executed by a trip to the zoo, would you be giving thanks to God? And yet here's what we learn. Here's a certainty. God is good, so we thank him. Because God is good, even in the midst of the uncertainties in our life, we choose to thank him. Well, what's Daniel got to be thankful for? God thanks that my coworkers are out to get me. God, thanks that my boss won't have my back. God, thanks that I'm being blindsided here. Or God, thanks that I don't know what to do. No, I think he says, God, thanks that you're good. And God, thanks that I know that you've never failed me. And that even in the dark times of the past, you've been there. And I know, God, that you are faithful. And I know, God, that I'm not in this alone. And I know, God, that when I do have hindsight, I'm going to see your hand at work. So, God, what I do right now in the midst of this uncertainty is I choose to thank you. If you're in the midst of an uncertain time, I would challenge you to remember that God is good, so we thank him. There is power in gratitude. And when we come to those places, there's something powerful that happens in our life. That's why Paul writes this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He gives this whole kind of, this whole kind of just bundle of encouragement to us in times of uncertainty. He says, even in uncertain times, you rejoice always, you pray continually, and you give thanks to God in all, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is power in gratitude. Because when I, when I just focus on myself, it's, it's like the life just gets kind of drained out of me. But when I give thanks, it's almost like it puts life back in us. And I challenge you with this too. Sometimes giving thanks to God means that you physically extend gratitude to other people. Because oftentimes what God does in our lives, he does through other people and, and Paul says this over and over again in his letters. We thank God for you. I would challenge you, if, if you're in a place of uncertainty, find a way not just to thank God, but to thank others. I, I can tell you this firsthand. About a week ago, I was kind of stressed. I was kind of frustrated. I was kind of uncertain about some things. And I was thinking about a couple of people in my world who have been such a blessing to me. And I just thought, I'm going to shoot them a quick note. And I just wrote him a, a quick note, nothing elaborate, nothing detailed. I didn't give him a 20-point list of why I appreciate him. But when I wrote that, 
I hope it was an encouragement to them, but I also know that afterwards, I was like, man, that brought life to my heart because there is power in gratitude. It changes us. God is good, so we thank him. And the second certainty that we see here is this. Number two, God is our help. God is our help. You know, all those things I told you about the story in Daniel, the way that God rescued and favored them, the way that God had saved them in the past, in the midst of all of this, God, God had showed Daniel this, and Daniel knew this, that it wasn't his strength or his wisdom, but that it was God's. The Bible tells us in Psalm 46.1 that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. We can wonder those three times a day when Daniel was praying, what was he praying for? Well, Daniel chapter 6, verse 11 tells us exactly what he was praying for. That when his enemies, when these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, they were trying to trap him, they found when he was praying that he was asking God for help. Daniel realized that he needed God's help. So what do we do? If God is our help, so we trust him. Because God is our help, we choose to trust him. And that's a little tricky because uncertainty often means that we don't know what to do and we don't know how to respond and we don't know what's coming next. And sometimes the reason that we don't know what's coming next or sometimes when we're in the midst of being blindsided is either because we don't need to know right now or maybe we can't handle knowing right now. You ever been there? <laughs> Like, I'm not so sure I could always handle everything that's coming down the pike. I've just got to trust God in the midst of that. God is our help, so we trust him. Here's the description of Daniel at the end of the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 23. At some point, Daniel spends the night in the lion's den, right? And the king, who's very bothered because he does not really want Daniel to be executed, the king comes to the lion's den, and it says that he shouts into the lion's den, Daniel, are you in there? Are you okay? And when Daniel comes out, it says the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not only can we know that God is good, and not only we know that God is our help, but when we trust him, it changes everything. My encouragement to you, wherever you're at in this season of uncertainty, is that you would trust God. Be careful that an uncertain future does not keep you from a certain God. Be careful that in this season, an uncertain future does not keep you from the certainty of a God who knows you, trusts him, and he loves you because he's good, because he's your help. Put your confidence in him and watch how he works that out in your life and in, in his plans for you. You can trust him in the midst of the uncertainty that you face. You know, as I was thinking about this story, I, I realized that, honestly, I've never come face to face with a lion. Like I've never been in a place where I had to trust God because I was in a lion's den. But I did think of a story that's probably the closest that I have ever come. When I was probably, I'm gonna guess I was in junior high, 
I used to ride my bike, and uh, I can remember there was this, this path that I would typically go. I would leave my house, and I, there was a hill that was right there, and it was fun to go down the hill, right? So I would ride my bike down the hill, and then to, to kind of do the circle that would come back, I would turn off this side road. Now, I, I grew up in a little town called Southington, Ohio. It's just outside of Warren. Um, there's, there's barely anybody that lives there, and it's just kind of a little country town. And uh, I was w going down this winding road, and it was all these houses that were out there, very few people as you're kind of out and about in this area. My dad had a friend who lived out there whose name was Ziggy. And I remember I'd ride my bike by Ziggy's house, and Ziggy had these dogs, and I uh, just always knew that you'd go by Ziggy's house, and you wanted to go by when the dogs weren't there. And I remember one day I was riding my bike by, and Ziggy had two dogs, and one was this little mutt. You know, just kind of this little mutt dog that was real yippy. I remember I was riding my bike by, and that dog was out in the yard, and he was just kind of out by the out by the road. And as I was driving by or riding by on my bike, I'm like, "There's that stupid dog." You know, you have that thought come through your mind, and the dog just like, just starts yipping at me. And when he started yipping, out of nowhere came his friend. There was a little dog, and then there was a big dog. If I remember right, it was a Doberman that did not like me riding my bike by the house. And I can remember there was something, I watched it click in the mind of that Doberman that saw me as lunch. And that dog just came jetting towards me, came streaking towards me. Now I'm riding on this country road, a lot of it's gravel, I'm just kinda trying to cruise down the road. And as I'm going, these dogs are chasing me. And the little guy kinda just yips, he's just there for effect, right? He's just providing a lot of noise. And then the big dog is coming right up after me. And as I'm riding my bike on this gravel, I'm starting to panic. I'm starting to get a little concerned and I'm not sure it's gonna happen. And this dog is getting closer and closer and closer. And no joke, like I can feel, you know how you get that uncertainty on the gravel road and I'm trying to go faster. And I can just, as I'm looking back and every time I look back, I start to swerve. This dog's getting closer and closer to the point that I see he, he's got his mouth at my heel. And I can like feel this dog right behind me. And I had no idea what to do. I just knew that if I either crash or this dog gets a hold of me, this is going to end poorly. And out of, out of nowhere, I'm sure it was actually out of somewhere deep inside, but I just remember I knew nothing more to do than just at the top of my lungs. I yelled, Jesus. Like I just called out the name of Jesus out in the middle of this farm road. And I'm telling you, that Doberman stopped dead in his tracks. Like, no joke. And, like, there was no electric fence. He was far from his house at this point, right? Like, I was just, like, the dog just stopped. And I did not stop to, like, turn around and cast a demon out of him. I just kept going. But I learned something that day. That in a moment when you come face to face with something that is uncertain or terrifying or when you don't know what to do, there is a God who is good and there's a God who will help. And when you come to him with gratitude and with trust, he is there to help you. And some of you in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your place where you are right now, the thing that you need to do is just stop right where you are. And call out to Jesus. You know what we have that, that Daniel did not have in the same way is we have the Holy Spirit who Jesus said will come alongside of us. In these moments in time, we have the opportunity to simply come to God, to call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, in this time, 
I need you now as much as I ever have. And he is good and he will help when we look to him. If you're watching online, I'm, I'm going to invite you just to join us in this moment. My friends are in the room. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And the team's going to lead us in a song that just reminds us that not for a minute has God ever forsaken us. We sang this earlier in the service, but we know that God will be with us. He's with us here again. And so in these next few moments, especially if you're in a season of uncertainty, would you call out to Jesus and put your trust and your confidence in him? Father, we bring this moment to you. Lord, and you know those that are a part of this service today. They're in this room or they're watching online. And Father, you know the uncertainty that they're facing. You know the challenges that they're seeing. And God, you have promised that you are right here with us. And so, Lord, we look to you. We trust in you. God, in a sense, we just, we just call out the name of Jesus. Lord, as we do that in this moment, would you meet us here as we trust in you? In Jesus' name, we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. to receive whether it's because you're in a, in a season of loss or there's a season of just what is unknown or a season of challenge in some way or another 
would you just put your hands out to the Lord in this moment? And I just picture Daniel in his room saying, God, I don't, I don't know what's coming next, but I know you're good. God, I know you're my help. Pastor Ben, would you lead us in that chorus again? I love how it starts. It just says, God, I'm not enough unless you come. Lord, so I put this in your hands. Lord, I thank you that I can trust you. God, I know that you're good, so I trust you. And as we sing this, would you make it your prayer? We'll sing that again. God, I'm not enough. If you're in this season of uncertainty, would you just trust him with it in this moment? God, we give this to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here? Come on, sing that one more time. Make it your prayer. I'm not enough. in your home you're sitting in your car sing it again again. God would you meet me here again God would you meet me here again cause all I want is all you are will you meet me here again thank you Lord God no matter where we are whether we are in our homes or whether we're in a pit full of lions, your word says that you never leave us or forsake us. God, your word says that you are always with us. God, your word says that you are good. God, your word says that you are our ever-present help. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we trust you in this moment. Lord, I just know that there's somebody who's hearing this message today their heart is so unsettled God that for whatever reason there's a restlessness there's an ache there's an emptiness and Lord that in the midst of that uncertainty you're reminding them in this moment that you're right here with us God that you walk with us in every moment in every season in the times when things look good in the times when things are tough whether the sun is shining or it's in the darkest night you are right there with us and we can trust you Lord, may the uncertainty of what's in our lives right now not keep us from the certainty of who you are and how we can trust in you. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your spirit that comes alongside of us. Lord, would you help us to live with certainty in these uncertain times? Lord, may your word do more than just fill our minds. Father, may you fill our hearts with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.